We have to go back! and welcome back to the flashback flicks retro movie podcast i'm ricky i'm grayson and you can have my axe <laughs> because we are reviewing we're closing out sequelary with mm. um with a big one a, a long we, we chose the shortest month of the year to yeah. review one of the longest movies we are reviewing lord of the rings colon the two towers uh spaces maybe enter like right underneath the extended edition extended yeah I, I don't know if we've ever done like a full extended edition of a movie on here except for maybe like superman when we watched two different versions right but that was by accident this yeah. is the first time that we intentionally both watched the extended edition of a movie and wow wowie wow so much to cover this movie was uh a huge movie it came out december 20 20- 20 i'm so used to the 20s uh 2002 if you want to read it like that uh december 2002 uh directed by peter jackson and like we mentioned in our previous review of uh lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring uh all of these three movies were filmed simultaneously essentially right. uh but uh so this movie uh had some uh interesting workarounds that they had to do because uh originally uh, the two towers as its own film kind of didn't exist they really only pitched like lord of the rings a fellowship and then return of the king and so they're like well it's going to be a trilogy so they had to decide where they were going to like fit this film uh and because originally in the book um the uh Actually, the beginning of Two Towers actually starts with Boromir's death from right. the previous movie. So that's a distinction that's made in the foreword of um, a lot of editions of Lord of the Rings, is that a lot of people call it a trilogy, but there's a case to be made that, yes, while it is three volumes, it is actually six books. Like, it's broken oh, down. Yeah. Uh, and that's the phrase that you like buy book like two books per volume uh, mm. to get you the three volumes that we know as the trilogy yeah two towers has a really interesting structure because it picks up with Bormir's death and you and you follow uh you know Gimli and and, and all of that crew uh and then you you're jumping into what's happened with uh Mary and Pip and, and all that and then in the second book of the second volume is when you get to Frodo and Sam and Gollum and all that. So right. there's a huge chunk for like half the book that you don't even know what happened to him. And it's very intentional to give you that feeling of we were all together in the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. But all of these groups are now split up in completely separate storylines moving forward. So it this movie does not match to the book just in construction alone mm-hmm. of how you would how you would typically structure that story if you were doing a one to one adaptation so right. that freed him up to do a lot of creative editing and having to piece these together um cuz like all the stuff that's happening with Faramir and Boromir's brother and all that kind of stuff um is like the end end of that book Right. Um, and as they're going in and they're going to take this shortcut that uh, that Gollum knows. So, um, yeah, a lot of problem solving they had to do as filmmakers of how do we do a movie like this that still feels faithful to the book, um, but has the same kind of editing conventions to be able to weave these stories together. 
Right. Yeah. And I was talking to my friend who's a big Lord of the Rings fan. And she was mentioning how like she was re uh, reading the audiobook, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how like there are lots of times where uh, she had to like reference a map. They're like, yeah, so we're over here in this. And she's like, pause. Where are they? Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, we were talking about that before I watched this movie. I'm like, yeah, they really do expect you to just understand who everyone is. Because most movie, most sequels, especially if you do have a sequel like Lord of the Rings, uh, Fellowship of the Rings, like a movie that's just a, con- a true continuation of the next story. Um, like usually there would be like some kind of recap. Like they do this all the time on like Netflix dramas, like previously on Luke Cage, like just to catch you up. They're like, nope, we're gonna we're gonna let you know the like pretty much the last thing you just saw, and then we're off. I'm like, wait a second, who are these people? Like I felt like I needed like a, a flow chart of just like, okay, wait, who's who's he? He's like Boromir was my brother. I'm like, oh, wait a second, let me. Like, I know that name. I've, it's, it sounds familiar. I need a face. <laughs> and so like there, there's just a lot going on. And um and the movie really just like they, they treat you like uh like a reader. I, I felt like this was like I I really <laughs> that did movie feel... treated me like a reader. <laughs> like I guess when you when you spend a lot of time with a book, like you you get pretty familiar with the characters. And mm-hmm. I feel like this movie did the same thing, uh, and it just expected you as an audience to just know who all the players already were because like I had to basically rewatch a recap of fellowship kind of after I was like, wait, let me, let me tie these things together. I'm like, Oh, that's why that's right. That's why agent Smith is part of this story because he was one of the ones who like tried to get like, so it really is. They they are telling one cohesive story and that that was a lot to achieve with a movie this size. Uh, And so they took a lot of uh, creative uh, approaches and including something that longtime listeners of the show will know is uh, is an old friend, if you will. Andy Circus in the mocap suit. This is yep, this, this is, is the dawn, the dawn of the callback. Uh, Andy Circus shows up and is Gollum, and especially at the time, like revolutionary CGI and mocapping just throughout the, like, I know that this movie came out in 2002, but I'm still like trying to figure out how are they doing this? How are they making this happen? Yeah. The clip of him splashing through the water, trying to get the fish exactly. was played over and over and over again, uh, especially during the, the Oscars. Yep. Um, which perfect segue. This movie <laughs> has won so many awards, Ricky. It won two Oscars, Oh, yeah. uh, just right off the top for best sound editing, best visual effects, clearly for Gollum. Also nominated for best picture, best art direction slash set direct set decoration, uh, best film editing, and best sound. And uh, uh, that's just the Oscars. Uh, yeah. In total, they had 126 wins and 138 <sighs> nominations just wow. for any awards. And... Um, and, and this is the middle one. This is the sequel, right? So all of those movies just cleaned up in terms of awards. Uh, but I think the real legacy of this movie is the the fandom 
behind it. Oh, um, yeah. That, you know, you have some people that are like only fans of the books of a lot of properties or only fans of the movies. And that exists in this property as well. But I think more than most, there is a, a cross pollination of, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the books and I'm a huge fan of the movies, uh, yeah. which is the case for me. Like, I have, I saw this movie before I read the books. And then I, I read them, and then I have seen it a couple times since then. It is way more enjoyable, I think, having read the books, just because, like, what you're talking about, yeah. I knew exactly who everybody was. Like, I didn't have any of that geographical or relational commu- uh, confusion or anything like that. I knew why things were happening, where things right. were going, um, which was really helpful. Uh, but just as a standalone you know, just on its own movie, they they recognized that it wasn't meant to be a standalone movie. It was right. meant to be part two of three, yes. and that people were going to binge these and watch all three in a row, and you don't want to have to sit through a recap of that. And it's like, they, they're just pieced together fairly seamlessly to have that be a, an enjoyable experience. Right, yeah. It's not like, a, like Die Hard 2, where it's like, it, it helps if you understand who this guy is previously, but they also make it, they reintroduce him enough so that if you have no idea who he is, you can kind of get on board. Not the case with, uh, with the, with the two towers film at all. They're like, no, you better have done your homework or you will be more lost than our characters in this track. Yeah, uh, it's actually close it, to like a Back to the Future construction because, uh, yes. you, you know, even even Star Wars kind of wraps up the problem of each film. Like they right. brought the Death Star, they kind of reset, they can catch their breath, whatever it is. But with Back to the Future, it's like you, cliffhanger. The first one is that you're going to the future or right. you're in the second one, you're stuck in the 50s. Like they don't really tie it up and then they don't really recap a ton except for like having to just explain what they need to do next. Um, right they expect you to do your homework going into it. And also, as far as extended editions go, uh, just from my experience, it wasn't, I think they only added, because um, I compared the two on um, HBO Max, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, it's actually not that much longer than the regular, um, or the theatrical edition. Uh, they added uh, 17 extended scenes and 15 new scenes. The main difference is a um, uh, the story of Mary and Pippin after being separated in fellowship. Uh, Because from my understanding is that they don't see as much of them. Um, Yeah, the theatrical cut, they kind of gloss over it, but they they have a significant um, role in the book. Like, they're a dedicated storyline in the book, just like they are in this. Um, And it's interesting. That's one of the cool elements when you realize where things are landing in the book is because... Um, like how he drops the brooch that they got uh, before. So to, to find him, you like come across and you find it. And then later you see him drop it and you're like, oh, this is concurrent. This ah. is, it's a real uh, soft four effect, if yeah. you will. Yeah. 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 I'm sure the writers of soft four were really channeling. We really want to make Lord of the Rings. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. So this movie, uh, I mean, it, this movie broke all kinds of records, including ones in the box office. With a budget of $94 million, <laughs> it made, like, basically just moved the decimal point over. <laughs> it made over $947 million in the box office. 
So that's why Peter Jackson can do whatever he wants now. Whatever he wants. And and this movie, I mean, I remember as I mentioned in the previous uh review of Lord of the Rings, colon, um back in the Shire, we uh I did not uh grow up watching this movie or reading the books. In fact, after I watched the first yeah. movie, I was furious that there was not a solid conclusive ending to it and they're like no i mean it's just a longer story and there are more books i'm like no 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 i watch a movie to get a complete story no thank you i'm out (laughs) so (laughs) this was my first time watching the two towers and i have to say uh this franchise continues to delight and amaze me because i had several preconceptions about how I felt about just the fantasy genre. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they are doing with this, like, cause I know it's based off of a book, but I'm just telling you, like, I didn't know it could be like this because the entire (laughs) time I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking of all the parallels that they have with other uh, genres. Like I'm thinking like the MCU, like through the lens of all of this story, I'm like, wow, I didn't realize how, like actually really connected it is and it's just really just a matter of uh dialogue and wardrobe and design it's just like oh no i can i can understand that the avengers are going to band together and then disband because of uh ideological differences and everyone else having different desires for the iron man armor but like to completely dismiss like oh yeah like it's about a ring and they don't have shoes nah I'll probably pass on this one. Like, it's, I don't know. I just had this big mis- uh, uh, misconception about the genre, and it continues to delight and amaze me. Yeah. I mean, if you were to take, like, Captain America's story of him returning the Infinity Stones, it's basically that same kind of conceit of you have an item that needs to go somewhere that has magical <laughs> abilities to restore yep. balance to the universe. Yep. Um, tale as old as time. <laughs> uh, but they really do, uh, I think, execute it in such a clean way in yeah. the Lord of the Rings saga that um, it's it's become the, the go-to. But yeah, the archetypes, too. I mean, the, to have the guide that is then removed, like the fall of Gandalf was exactly the same kind of feeling as the death of Obi-Wan from yeah. Oh, um, yeah. episode four, right? And so like, it has such a timeless feel to it because uh, they it's it's classic architecture of uh, story and character. Yeah, and there I mean, there's just so much, and like, because if you remember back in 2002 when this movie came out, uh, the staying power that this movie had, because like everyone who was in middle school uh, did the Gollum voice. Right, because Gollum's not really in a bunch of the first one. Um, no. So it, it's, uh, this was like where that impression really took and shape. Then, yeah, and I did it tons. <laughs> bruised my larynx several mm. times just mm-hmm. to do the voice because it was such a strong character voice, which Andy Serkis just, I mean, he, so fun fact, he drank bottles of Gollum juice. Uh, a mixture of honey, lemon, and ginger to keep his throat lubricated for his intense vocal performance. Because it's it's all all vocally right there, right in the larynx, uh, and it was just like that. That was like my main connection to this piece of media. But man, uh, just so much love and care and time went into making this movie, and you can see it because um, there there are so many vistas that I'm like. I'm looking at, and I just I forget that 
New Zealand is uh, the majesty that it is because yeah. it's just like, yeah, we're just looking at giant vistas of New Zealand like that. We're just seeing that. And then we're seeing these set pieces also there. But like you just you, you really believe that this place exists. I'm like, oh, yeah, like we're not in um, in this big world of uh, a CGI I mean, granted, it's part of it, but you also just see like how real they—they they had hundreds of extras um, in so many of these scenes, they, and also hundreds of horses. If you've ever wondered where have all the horses gone, um, time traveler listening to this podcast, they're all in New Zealand because yeah. hundreds and hundreds of horses were used throughout this. Hundreds of extras, like they just did so much to this movie. Yeah, uh, well, you to, have to, to have the horse. I mean. Well, because you you really explore Rohan in this, and Ro- and Rohan is the kingdom of the horses. They're horse lords, so like, yeah, it's kind of part of the deal. You got to yeah. have them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and something that I didn't realize about this movie, uh, especially in the extended edition, uh, is just how interconnected everything is when it comes to um, all of these stories that we're telling all of these people, because um, with uh, Mary and Pippin, for example, I was not expecting to be as just enthralled with their storyline as I was. I'm like, how are they going to get back? Because like, but you really see how they as character, like every character in this movie has an arc, every single one of them. Um, Even, uh, a tree beard, tree beard coming. He's like, I'll drop you off. He's like, these were my friends. I'm waking everyone up. And then they just like, <laughs> like we are at war. And then they just go. It was, oh, I wasn't, I, I wasn't expecting to feel so many things, especially from trees mm-hmm. or tree or bearded trees. It's just, they really do uh, capture you and just, ah, I don't even know if this is a review anymore. I think I'm just gushing. (laughs) Just all reasons to recommend. Um, But yeah, the impact of Mary and Pippin. I mean, Mary and Pippin's actions directly lead to them taking one of the two towers, right? Yes. Yes. So like that doesn't happen without them, which is why, because Ricky, you haven't seen the third one, have you? No, I have not. See, so no spoilers on that, but you can you can definitely see the impact that all these characters have. I you gotta see the third one. You just gotta see it. Yeah. You know what? I've had my fill. I think uh, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I think four six hours, hours. I'm good. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, see you next no, February. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm definitely will be watching the next one. I have to see how this ends, and I'm so. Yeah. It's and it's also interesting because you know typically when you have such prolific and iconic movies like this mm-hmm. there's like some kind of spoiler to have um but i feel like this movie just has so much going on that it's hard to spoil any of it because i I, yeah. I uh even before i had ever seen this movie i knew about gandalf the gray and grand gandalf the white uh, right. largely because <laughs> of uh um, know exactly why you know that oh <laughs> yeah it's it's uh the ultimate showdown of ultimate destiny uh, mm-hmm. It's also the reason why one of my first exposures to Bill and Ted uh, <laughs> with getting off the gray and getting off the white and my new pop that and the Holy Grail's Black Knight. Anyway, they go into a bunch of other people and other pop culture references. Uh, but, you know, I didn't know what that meant. And it was just so cool because like I was on the same page. I'm just like, oh, no, that dude's here. And then it was like, it's Gant. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Gant. Oh, man. Uh 
I just I I'm so happy that he fell into the sequel, which is where I feel like most fallings uh, should always happen in movies. Just like oh, because yeah. <laughs> I was just like oh yeah, he fell. Like oh yeah, why are they reminding us? That- oh, that's right. That he he fell into the Winter Soldier. I get it. Mm-hmm, I understand mm-hmm. now. Got it. <laughs> the Winter Balrog. Even uh-huh. even now, uh, you know, we we kind of know that it's him right off the bat, just from the way it's hard to like make that mystery but that's another distinct difference from the book is that they're kind of with this figure for a while and then he reveals that he is um that, that he's gandalf the white and they dig into that idea of and then he flashes back to oh this is how right. i survived and what happened yeah. to me and didn't actually survive but came back for this purpose and and all that kind of stuff and it's almost like a resurrection story in a lot of ways um of like revealing his whole purpose so um yeah, it's just one of those creative problems of being like in a book, you can keep that very uh, kind of close to the chest and in the shadows. But in the movie, we like you got to look at something. So how do you not give it away? And their solution was move it up because people are going to jump there much more quickly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, just a, a feat of storytelling for sure. Uh, I one of the things I love about this movie is just the Helm's Deep battle. It's so intense, so complicated, uh, so much so that it, it took a long time to shoot and terrible weather conditions that um, all of the the cast and crew had shirts made called I Survived the Battle of uh, Helm's Deep right there on yes. the front. Just yeah. Uh, like it was a real thing. Like it was, it was so draining to, to shoot it, but that was the, the passion behind all of them. And uh, speaking of Lord of the Rings, passion and the cast you know, genuinely loved uh not just this project but the source material and uh you know, christopher lee who plays Sauron in this count dooku all that um willy wonka's dad he is uh you know such a lord of the rings fan that he was yeah. basically the consulting supervisor on a lot of the details uh, nice. of this um yeah, I mean, there there's so many stories that we could go into about Christopher Lee alone in uh, in these movies. Uh, so much, like even to the the point of he would consult on just the battles. Uh, and there's an anecdote of uh, you know, they were uh, doing a fight scene and someone gets stabbed uh, behind, and Peter Jackson like instructed the the person to make a certain kind of noise and. Uh, Christopher Lee was like, that's not what it sounds like when someone gets stabbed in the back <laughs> uh, because he had fought, right? Like he yeah, was an yeah. actual soldier um, wow. in, uh, I believe, World War II. And so he, he like knew his stuff. He, so this was very real to him and very important to him. And his depiction of Sauron is, uh, you know, so... So villainous with a purpose, right? We talk about how the the best villains have their own ambition and psychology and philosophy and honestly believe that what they're doing is the right track. And that, that, uh, that scene, my wife pointed out, you know, when they're, uh, when Saruman is standing, uh, over those armies and the armies are just chanting over and over again, um, that it's such an intense moment that Wormtongue has just a single tear that comes down. He's just so... Yeah, you're right. He's like, what kind of power have I aligned myself with? What terrifying power? And I think that's part of the beauty of Lord of the Rings is you have these incremental villains, right? These incremental forces, antagonists, uh, because like 
the eye of Sauron is such a, a disembodied thing at this point. We get that it represents like all evil and it can see them and it's super powerful, but you also have to have at a more humanized level uh, creatures that are uh, basically a villain that can bleed, right? You got to make yeah, them bleed. Yeah. And so um, I think for Christopher Lee to take that on, it just his depiction I love so much. Yeah. Well, and something that I think uh, this movie did a particularly good job of is having the hordes of armies feel like they were actually insurmountable. Because I, I think that there's a, a trope that's just like, um, you know, large sum of people, like um, like just like the first Avengers, like the invasion of New yeah, York. The Chitauri and all that. The yeah. Chitauri, you have them there, right? Yeah. But like, I think we spend so much time learning about like, oh, these creatures, like they are literally being born from the ground to fight yeah. constantly. There's this giant warehouse of just pumping out these monsters and we've seen them attack and we've seen them beat our heroes from the first film. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's something that is uh, interesting because as soon as I saw that horde coming, I'm like, um, there's no way anyone is making this like period. Like I, I am legitimately concerned for these characters. I'm like, I don't know how they're going to get out of this one. Like we can see, but like they don't, the team that's there. is just like, we got an archer and a dude with an ax and a very charismatic, uh, bilingual, uh, a writer who mm -hmm. can help us. Like, <laughs> how are you going to win that? You yeah, know, like, but there's no Iron Man fleet that can come in and save the day. Uh, they don't have a Hulk. Like all these other things. I'm just like, I don't know how this is going to happen. And the way it gets solved is friendship. <laughs> friendship <laughs> saves the day. Oh, and he came. Oh. The, uh, yeah, when, when the elves came in to help, and then when uh, Gandalf came in, right as the sun was dawning, they just had to make it through the night. I like, I cheered, I cheered, I cheered in my living room. I think I woke my child up because it was very early. Uh, I was just, it was just so exciting, and I and I think that's something that this movie was able to do because it didn't. It, it was it was sold. It, the movie was sold in three parts, and it was all filmed at once. So you got to really live in this world and understand the stakes um, and these unnamed um, creatures that were coming in to invade. Basically, uh, didn't happen all at once. Like we knew what their intentions were, we knew why they were there, uh, and we just got to. I mean, we just got to see like a really challenging and difficult battle that was not supposed to be won but mm -hmm. somehow it 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 did and because all the players were exactly where they were uh yeah. and that yeah. that's the the cool thing that switches from fellowship of the ring to two towers is in the fellowship of the ring their strength is that they're all together at the end of that movie when they split up that's when they're overtaken so now we're going to spin a movie where not only has one of their party been killed so the stakes are very life and death but they're not going to be able to stay together and so all three parties really struggle with the same thing which is getting people on their side generating yeah. allies whether it's trying to get the elf army there or uh, trying to convince the ents to join the fight or even just trying to you know, make it through uh, the swamp plants and stuff and having to convince Faramir like this, like 
this is a, a, a mission that I'm on. I, I really have to continue forward. Um, it's all about convincing the people that they're around that we're outside of the fellowship to become almost like three new fellowships to make this uh, work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, man. Oh, it was just, it was good. Good movie. Go, <laughs> good <gl> movie. <laughs> <laughs> Two towers. Good movie. <laughs> Two towers. Good movie. Uh, yeah. And I, yeah, I, I don't have many other things other than, to say other than just, it, it was, it was solid. I can't wait to watch more. And I'm so glad that there is more to watch and that we are going to get more of the story that happened before this um, mm -hmm. with the uh, new series. With the uh, Rings of Power. Rings of Power. Oof. So excited. Um, and originally, you know, I have some very loose kind of tie-in uh, to launch into our next segment. But all I can say is whatever headcanon is in Elvish. Headcanon! Mm. Headcanon! <laughs> I tried consulting uh, some translators. It just, I just... I don't speak the language. It's a class at USC, actually. You can oh, really? Elvish. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to audit that class and then time travel back and do this <laughs> correctly. Uh, but Headcan is a part of show where we share a few unique ideas and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Uh, man, huh, there's just so there's so many things in this movie that's just fact canon that I it it felt like I'm like, oh, what can I say else about this movie? Um the main thing that I wanted to uh, touch on headcanon wise yeah. was just the um, where these stories are taking place. Okay. Because, uh, you know, they're, they're in Middle Earth. They're in this certain era. Um, and it reminded me a lot of Avatar, The Last Airbender. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And in so, the sense that it made a lot of money. In the sense that it made. Oh, wait. A I, lot. I was thinking Avatar. Oh. Oh, no. No, no. Sorry, The Last Airbender. Sorry. I um, think there was a delay there. The Last Airbender, well, the live-action movie, not a lot of money. No. The series, no. critical acclaim, for sure. Critical acclaim. Yeah. yeah so um, just in also journeys and learning things and friendship. When the lore of the world, right? The world building. Right. Is, yeah. Yes. And so um, basically, I think that um, Lord of the Rings, and, may, and there are going to be people who are fans, and I just wanted to say ahead of time, I'm so sorry. Uh, but my vision is basically that, like, the map of this world is basically on the same, like, just the way that we have continents and how mm -hmm. they just exist differently. It's that, like, people's maps, um, like, this is happening on this side of the map, and then Avatar is happening just, like, kind of, like, on the other side of the globe, basically. Oh. And so, that's what kind of matches their um, time period and era, and also technology, because they're also kind of, like, on the cusp of that uh, era. Well, I know that in Avatar, like, they have, like, machines and, like, tanks and things like that, but they're um, still kind of like right before I guess the industrial revolution because then there's another series called the legend of Korra which is like it's so good because they like yeah so now several like at least like a generation later now we're looking at the early industrial revolution happening kind of thing so uh that's that main thing it's just like these two stories are kind of happening in the same world but kind of like maybe a few time periods off from one another mm. but they also exist independently and they're not necessarily touching um each other's story so there's not necessarily going to be like a huge crossover but uh i just thought that that was interesting because i know that there is like a set map of like what 
all the stuff is and what everything is. And I, I just reminded me of that other thing, but that's kind of it. I was just enthralled in the story. I'm just like, Oh yeah, that's right. I gotta, I gotta think of things that could happen in this world. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah, it's so hard to build headcanon around this because it is such a tight lore, uh, like the yeah. book is literally closed on that. So we really do have to go crazy to uh, break through and just, yeah. What I kept thinking of was uh, Marvel because that's what I right. do all the time, but yes. mainly because of the casting. So you had a lot of one and done Marvel faces in this. Uh, everyone from, you know, Liv Tyler is the the former Betty Ross and uh, I guess current, they haven't really replaced her unless you count voice acting and what if. Um, and you had uh, Hugo Weaving, who played Red Skull for the first time. Even Carl Urban, who's Aramorin here, he played um, Scourge in uh, Ragnarok. And you just have like a lot of, of them. And so I was I was thinking, yeah, yeah, Andy Serkis doesn't count because he actually was in two. He wasn't a one-off. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I you know, didn't do anything with that. Uh, so thanks for sticking with me for just naming names. But what it did do is got me on that track of thinking. It's like, okay, so this is Middle Earth, right? Middle Earth and in the Thor world, they refer to Earth as Midgard. So kind of a very of similar course. language. Yep. We know from everything going on in Marvel right now that there are multiple universes that have similarities mm. but distinct differences. So it's possible that what we're seeing in Lord of the Rings is Earth, but it's a variant of Midgard or Middle Earth. And if that's the ah. case, where you have all of this happening, which fits in very much with like the Thor-type world, um, it's kind of this fantasy and, and mythology and all that. If all of that's happening, then it would mean um, that any of the characters in the Marvel Universe could possibly be from a version of Earth that we don't know about um, and with characters that we don't know a ton about their backstory. So my headcanon is that uh, Groot is an Ent, and he came? Oh, yeah. He came from possibly one of those cracks or a version where I mean, I think his version of that world is that it was completely wiped out. But what we're looking at is a version of Earth where you know, Groot would have continued to grow and be part of a community and would have thrived there. Uh, and that's why he says, I am Groot, is because in his language, everything takes so long to say. He's learned one key phrase that he can communicate with for everything. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's really good. That's that's remarkably good. In fact, it's too good, Grayson. <laughs> too good uh no i love that that's uh i yeah that tracks for me because you know uh especially if we have the world where you know thor does exist mm -hmm. like in this in the marvel universe and, and they did like a, a a marvel noir short run series basically where it's just all these characters reimagined in the you know noir detective style uh where you get Spider-Man, you are X-Men, etc. Oh yeah, uh, and so uh, that it would make sense to me that also other versions of these characters would be that, uh, especially like Iron Man being like an Iron Smith, uh, or mm -hmm. he just makes the armor. Oh man, and then Cap. Oh man, this works. Okay, listen, um, <laughs> Marvel, Disney, uh, hear us out. Um, 
we we MCU, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, we got um, Frost Giants. We got Dark Elves. I think it's all right there. I think we can. Uh, you know, at the very least, I would just love to see like a. Uh, I want to get the cast of of all all of the Avengers, and they just play Dungeons and Dragons. Like, like, can we just do that? Can we just get them to play Dungeons and Dragons as just like medieval era versions of their characters? Like that that would be great. I'm just saying. It's it's. I mean, you've you've been doing great. You've been making a lot of really great things that. I can only describe as fan fiction turning into fact fiction. Um, Which is saying relaxed. Ha- yeah. Have some fun. Have, have some, some fun. fun. Roll the dice, if you will. Mm. Seriously, re- <laughs> really great. Really great headcan. Thank you. All right, now we're going to go to the part of the show where we'd like to talk to you about recasts and remakes. We're recasts. We're remakes. If this movie were to be made today, who would you cast? What would the storyline be? I want this to be animated. I want to see the animated version of this. The live action version, oh gosh, it's, it's so hard to touch. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it's so good. And I totally see why they are trying to expand on the story because they're like, oh, so we're just going to touch this masterpiece. So yeah, no, we're just going to remake the Mona Lisa. Yeah. No, well, it's well, you not also happening. have the Cimmerillion, which has so much of the backstory built into it. They're like, all right, let's just start pulling stuff from that. Right. Yeah. And, and I love the expansion of the, of, these other stories like what they're doing with star wars and focusing on all these other characters like boba fett the mandalorian these are all things that i'm like yes i'm here for like i know what we know from the core trilogies um let's see like this is such a big world i feel like we can tell these other stories Uh, but if we were to be telling two towers i want to see this animated um uh, very similar to what you were mentioning about reading the book and then seeing the movie uh i finally finished reading invincible the the first oh in, yeah the very least the first big volume the first 13 issues of the comic and then watching the animated show is like oh my goodness this is spectacular because they're really expanding a lot yeah uh just because there's there's a lot in between the panels that you can show and expound on so i really think that if they did this animated um, that they would have so much to tell and be able to show us um, something that you just can't do uh, in person, even though they covered so much in person, right? Mm-hmm. Like they did a lot. And so um, I think that it would be really interesting to see this as that. And I would love an updated video game because this movie, of course, has a video game component. Yeah. Well, uh, and then you had Shadows of Mordor and, and right. you had stuff that expanded for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, I just made me want to feel like, because anytime I spend four hours directly with one singular piece of media, it's usually me in a video game. Uh, sure, sure. Or four or more. And so I I just would love to see them uh, do a campaign of Lord of the Rings. I'm pretty sure I said this last time, but unlike this movie, um, I didn't do my homework and listen back to that episode. But I think a video game would be so much fun, uh, especially if you do a campaign style and everyone like you get to build your own fellowship and you get to choose who you want on your team and then like see if you can actually make it. I think that that would be really fun. I totally agree. And I'm going to take all my recast and remake just for one single pitch, just like they are redoing all of the Skywalker saga for Lego. 
and yeah. they're releasing that. <laughs> Just please, like it. Getting the Lord of the Ring Lego games are so inaccessible now. You got to like go back several generations. Just yeah, just do it. Hobbit through Lord of the Rings, and can we just get all the characters? Super immersive world. I mean, I feel like they got to be at least talking about it, right? Just right. You're talking about it, aren't you? And uh, especially with the with the show coming out, like think of the expansion packs. Just please, please, please. The closest we really got recently was Lego Dimensions, where you could go through one of the portals to play a fixed game. But uh, even that's discontinued. So I just need. I'm I'm so excited for the Star Wars one. I I just need. I need everything that I love to exist in Lego. That's all I ask. Yeah, I, I say I mean, that, Ricky. Everything I love to exist in Lego, and and yet let me show you this. This is not going to play over uh, an auditory medium, okay? But here, let me. I picked this up the other day. What I'm holding up is a, a like an RV that has a guy with short brown hair. Yep. He's holding a baby in like a little baby carrier, and uh, he's with a, a redhead woman. And I'm like, that's me. That's my family. Yep. This is a, an important step of turning everything I love into Lego. So I had to get it. Um, Absolutely. Just do that with Lord of the Rings, please. Lord of yeah. the Rings again. And they've already made them. I'm just saying, like, I want more. I want the update. Yes. Uh, given the Star Wars treatment. Well, and I would love to see it uh, similar to what they've done with, like, the Lego Batman movie or the Lego movie. Like, I feel like Lego could very well hop in and say, all right, we're going to do, we're going to open up the Lego Dimensions multi verse or a cinematic universe where basically they just take on all of these different properties of like okay great it's lord of the rings versus the avengers because it's all lego and they can do it because of lego like i think that that would be a ton of fun yeah and gandalf is one of the main three in lego dimensions anyway so that's right make it happen make it happen All right, now we're going to go into our final segment of the show where we like to give you our reasons to recommend, as if this whole podcast hasn't been that. Uh, So, Grayson, why would you recommend Lord of the Rings, uh, colon, uh, Gollum in 60 seconds, or as you said, uh, Gollum like a seal? Yeah, I I recommend Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, colon, Back in the Hobbit, because (laughs) we... uh, you know, we record a lot, we review a lot of different types of movies on here, but this one is at uh, such a quality and such a staying power and a cultural icon that if you haven't seen it, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about it, but like what R- Ricky said, like you can't really spoil it. Um, it's so intricate and carefully constructed and ultimately is the highest stakes of good versus evil. And um, like <laughs> Ricky pointed out with uh, the Helm's Deep fight. It was like friendship, right? Like we're just coming together um, and that having this be the follow-up to Fellowship of the Ring where it was all, all all about like we have to do this together to be successful. This movie has very much like a um, almost Civil War, like a Marvel Civil War feel where it's like you just, you were together and now you're separate and you're weaker because you're separate. But how do you step up as an individual to still... Uh, accomplish the mission so i think it's it's really encouraging it's really motivational um and just the visual effects are incredible what they did uh, especially at the time with Gollum and and these massive fight scenes 
um, just like soldiers and you know individual level detail, but also the massive armies coming together. It's just uh, you know in in art form really, and uh, that's why I made all the money. That's why I got all the awards. But um, I don't know how many times I've rewatched this movie, but the fact that it exists in you know, theatrical editions and extended editions and video games and all the different ways to enjoy it, uh, not the least of which is the book. It allows you to take the original source material that I just loved reading, such an important story in my life, and take it to the screen in a new way and and explore it in a new way that still feels uh, faithful to uh, the intent. So if you have not seen it, it's about time. Go through Hop on HBO Max, not a sponsor, and take your pick between theatrical edition or extended edition, and uh, just it'll be it'll be one of the best decisions you make this week. I don't know, I don't know your week's life, I don't know your <laughs> life. Just just do it. It's a positive decision. Absolutely, yeah. I again, I I recommend this movie because it surprised me in such a positive way. Uh, I. For, for the most part, most I, the most fantasy stories I have engaged with haven't really kept my attention as much as like sci-fi. Okay, mm. but this movie um, was an exception to the rule. Uh, I'll share a random personal story. Uh, I took a cooking class a couple of years ago, and one of the recipes called for carrots, and I was like, I mean, I'll try it, but like, I don't really like carrots. But this was so like i i made these carrots i prepare, prepared them in a certain way where it's basically making like a carrot mash i added onions and um some chicken broth and like s- simmered it down and so it basically has a consistency of mashed potatoes and i was like oh my gosh i really love this and so you really connect with sam i really do yeah. potatoes mm-hmm. cook it boil it stick it in a stew <laughs> mash it up, stick it <laughs> uh and so when i made that my cooking instructor said well, I guess you don't hate carrots. Uh, and I was like, I guess you're right. And so that's what the Lord of the Rings franchise is, to me at least. It, it took something that I was convinced I didn't really enjoy just as a whole category of entertainment. Uh, but it was prepared in such a way that I legitimately not only liked it, but really enjoyed it. Uh, and so if you are similar to me and you have that, uh, uh, experience with a uh, fantasy or even just Lord of the Rings, and you just like heard of it, just like wizards and talking trees. Not for me. I prefer Marvel, <laughs> which has mm-hmm. both. Uh, and so I th- there's that. I also think uh, that this quote alone is worth the entire movie. But right, we shouldn't even be here, but we are. It's like in the great stories, Mister Frodo, the ones that really mattered. Full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't know how, you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, the shadow. Even darkness must pass. The new day will come. When the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know. Folk in these stories had lots of chance to turn back, only they didn't. They kept going because they were holding on to something. 
What are they holding on to, Sam? That there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo. And it's worth fighting for. Sobbed. Cried like a baby. Uh, yeah. That, and, this, and it sums it up in such a mm. really great way. And there's still more movie to see. So it was, uh, it hit particularly um, deeply for me. And that is why I would recommend yeah. Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Wow. Yeah, it's like that speech and Jim Carrey's speech in Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I want to go somewhere where we can be somebody. Those yeah. two great speeches in cinema. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that is our review of the 2002 movie, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And it also closes out another sequelary for us here wow. on the podcast. We'll see you next year. No, uh, and uh, let us know what you remember about Lord of the Rings on our social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Flashback Flicks, and it would mean so much to us if you could leave a rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice on the scale of mm, one to five potatoes. That's the main character and feature of this yeah, movie, right? It is. Yeah, it's one of the most memeable for sure. <laughs> that and Legolas getting up on that horse. Oh, so, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yes. Oh, uh, that 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 little scene, it kind of broke my brain. I was like, what's ha- wait, what is what is happening? How's he getting on that horse? Yeah. I see him and then he's on it. anyway. Uh yeah, a skill of one to five potatoes. How would you rate this podcast? And yeah. be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flix Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Mm-hmm.